You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Episode 6. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, and I'm joined by Michael Edwards and Justin Edwards. Hey. Hi, hi. Our topic uh, in this episode is baseball in the 50s and 60s, with special attention to how media shaped the experience of baseball. Whoa. It's about time we got baseball going. So here we go. Um, I started listening to baseball in the 1950s. I was born in uh, 52, and I think I started listening to baseball when I was about five on a transistor radio. Uh, my mom tells me I did watch, which is a different kind of experience we'll talk about, uh, the Don Larson World Series game, uh, which would have been on NBC and would have been in the afternoon. And he pitched a no-hitter in that game. That's what makes it notable. The only no-hitter ever pitched in a World Series game. So uh, I grew up with a sense that uh, baseball was not only something that you could play, which I did often and with great enthusiasm in my backyard and eventually in Little League Baseball, but it's something you could listen to, almost like a three-act play, three-inning three divisions, um, just like hockey is three divisions. <laughs> Always copying hockey. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Cricket is just a... And anyway, um, I, you could listen to it, and eventually I realized you could watch it other than in person at the ballpark, uh, which is, uh, I think, a, a different sort of experience. So there's, there's three ways to enjoy baseball, Major League Baseball in particular. You can listen to it, you can watch it on television, or you can watch it in the stadium. All three different kinds of experiences. Now, was this like unique to baseball at the time? Was basketball not typically broadcast or, you know, other sports? Uh, you know, my vague reflection is that the thing called the NBA, a professional sports league that played basketball, was virtually unwatchable. It was black and white. It was uh, filmed from a long distance from the court uh, and... Uh, it, you you maybe saw one or two games broadcast a year, and this is really into the 60s where uh, the NBA was just not a profitable uh, national sport. And uh, if you're thinking of college basketball, it was nowhere near uh, as televised and as uh, popularized even on radio uh, until the 70s. Huh. How about football? Football... Uh, there was one channel, uh, CBS. They broadcast uh, one team a, a week. It sometimes could be the Cleveland Browns if that was your in your neighborhood, but uh, uh, it really was uh, led by the New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, all the all the major teams, which has sort of precipitated the the birth of the uh, American Football League, a rival league, the NFL, which uh, you know had more cities and more coverage. And football's problem would be that it's, you know, back then only one game a week. Right. And uh, all the teams on one day. And did they even do Monday or Thursday night games? No, that was an innovation uh, not until uh, uh, 1970 on uh, ABC. Baseball's already got just way more games, so there's just more of an opportunity to broadcast. And then basketball has, you know, maybe half as many games, but if it's not organized and, and kind of workable yet, then I guess it would make baseball kind of uniquely suited to being early on in the broadcasting game. Well, it's a, it's a way to fill up uh, radio time at least uh, 154 days a year uh, uh, or, or fewer because they actually played doubleheaders uh, that were planned doubleheaders. Uh, so you might have 140 radio dates uh, in a in a given year, until the American League adds two teams in the in the six. This is really what they call inside baseball, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, and and they have to go to a 162 game schedule, which the National League follows suit the next year. But so there's about 140 games to broadcast, and then maybe the All Star Game uh, at midseason, the midseason classic, as it you know was trumpeted at the time. 
and uh, and then the World Series because there were no playoffs other than the World Series uh, until uh, that magical year, 1969, where there was for the first time two divisions in each league, and you had uh, you know an American League North and South or American League uh, East and West, and uh, same with the National League. So baseball is always described as a, a national pastime and. What does that even mean anymore? What did it mean then? Well, to me, it is still the national pastime, and I don't, I don't think it depends upon the number of viewers or listeners or people at ballparks. But if it did, uh, at this point in time, there are more listeners, viewers. There's greater attendance in baseball, even with expansion, uh, than there's ever been uh, proportionally uh, in, in the existence of baseball. So it, it is really. Uh, with the help of the former commissioner, Bud Selig, the, a boom time for the number of people who watch baseball uh, around the world. And, you know, it's it's growing in all sorts of places beyond this uh, North and South America. So that that's a good time. It just seems like the media likes to write these every single year, the same article that NFL is beating baseball, this or that. But, I mean, baseball is bigger than it's ever been, ever, ever, every year. And it's just like, well, what are you comparing it to? I don't know. In a pastime is a pastime. You can't make football the pastime because it was baseball. So then here we are today. And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think uh, one could say everybody plays football in the way you can say everybody has played baseball, men or women, boys or girls. Uh, whether it's in softball or you know hardball, baseball, uh, little league, wiffle ball, there are all sorts of variations. Just about everybody has played baseball or could play baseball because it doesn't depend upon elaborate uniforms. It doesn't depend upon being you know six six and weigh three hundred pounds. Uh, you know some of the greatest baseball players have been uh, under five foot five. Uh, and, uh, you know, many, many of the greatest baseball players are, are just normal sized people who happen to be able to hit or catch a ball or are very fast and they can run. And, uh, uh, but, but you ask, you know, why national pastime? I think literally it was what the, what had a hold on the nation's sports consciousness. Uh, even before there was, uh, baseball on the radio, there were people, uh, passionate about following professional baseball uh, wherever it was played, and mainly it was played on the eastern seaboard with with some movement west to uh, uh, as far west as St. Louis, although there weren't any teams in Major League Baseball uh, until uh, 1958. Uh, west of St. Louis, and that was when the uh, the Dodgers and the Giants left New York and moved to, respectively, uh, Los Angeles and to San Francisco. Um, but it is a national interest, uh, and it's because baseball actually did a very good job accidentally in being able to uh, portray the sport as uh, having local and national heroes, and and uh, uh, the there was a there was an attempt to market uh, baseball and baseball players in a, in a very uh, shrewd way in a time when there weren't uh, media other than the teletype and the uh, the uh, ability to uh, uh, broadcast, so to speak. The news about baseball on uh, on different media like newspapers and magazines, and the invention of a great newspaper that really no longer exists in its, in its original form called the Sporting News, which was published and edited in St. Louis, <laughs> right in the middle, right in the middle of the country. I remember seeing ads for that paper. Yeah, even into and, our childhood. I don't. Yeah. When did it die? <laughs> well, you know, it still exists, oh, but it's okay. it's more of a, 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 a multi-sport digest, whereas it really began as primarily a baseball newspaper that came out weekly and and you know was distributed. I was just Wikipediaing it. <laughs> <laughs> and the the greatest thing about baseball. Um, to me, compared with other American originating sports like football and basketball is, 
almost immediately it found a way to nationalize and historicize a way of scoring, a way of reporting games um, in, in that magical uh, printed form called the box score, which, which has the history of the sport you know, kind of embedded in it. Uh, and of course, now box scores are more elaborate um, uh, and provide even more information. But this was the original way to move the activities of the sport nationally, almost on a daily basis, uh, uh, through the ability to time shift the the scores of baseball games and the box scores of baseball games, so that just about anybody could read it um, at least within a week of the of the games being played, and and more often than not, there are ways of of getting it to uh, uh, overnight uh, through the teletype and and so forth. And it seems like with baseball being segmented into nine innings that it's just a little better. Like you get a summary of a football game and like, what are you going to report? Like quarters, I guess, or, you know, same thing for basketball. And you get a little, like it's still granular, but it's also still a summary. So you kind of get a better snapshot of like the drama of the game of like, oh, they were down by five, but then over the next, and, and football would be like, oh, they won. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought that about box scores too, that you could give me a box store box score and I could write a review of that game based on the story that's represented. Because you can really tell the flow of the game and like, oh, he hit the double in that inning. Okay, I can see that that's put the pressure on the pitcher and then he messed up here. Yeah, okay. And I could write, you know, the recap. And the uh, the heroes of baseball, uh, the, the notable players in baseball, and, and uh, you know, every team had its it's special players who, who were known by everybody. Um, you know, they, they became uh, important um, historical figures in in the times in which they played and in the in the cities in which they played. They became identified with the city. It's not like today where, where players uh, move to the next team that offers them the most money. It was that uh, you, you identified, you wanted to play with the New York Yankees, for instance, and uh, you know there was there was this long term myth that the reason the Boston Red Sox had been so terrible for so many years and never winning a pennant and in uh, you know they counted it down here and the same thing with the Cubs is uh, there's a curse of some sort and this particular curse with the the Red Sox uh, which became greater and greater in in momentum and, and notoriety uh, with the with the advent of radio, where, where sportscasters and, and baseball announcers could could pass along the story, and it was the trade of Babe Ruth from the Red Sox to the Yankees, and it, it ushered in eras and eras and eras and epochs of of Yankee dominance and and the the relative uh, failure of the Red Sox because they had traded away the greatest player who ever lived and uh, you know uh, radio is responsible for building that that mythology uh, just as the newspapers coast to coast were building a mythology about baseball that uh, can can only be described i think as the greatest you know sport um, really ever conceived and and continuing to exist. <laughs> there we have it. Uh, Greatest <laughs> sport ever. Um, you, um, you mentioning the Red Sox reminded me of the, the Onion story right when they won the World Series. It was in the past five years, or maybe it was further back. But, um, 04. 04, okay, it's been 11 years. That's how out of touch I am. But the Onion story was that Red Sox fan who had finally given up, disappointed again. <laughs> 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 he broke the curse. They were waiting for him to not cheer anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, right. Well, it's good. I think another major aspect to me, and I think this can plays into kind of the early days of building mythologies that lent baseball to being such a strong candidate to be a national pastime, is just the basic fact of that daily game that every day you can check in and chart the story over the course of six months. And your team, if it's not in your town, will come to your town eventually, you know, and it's not like NFL, for instance, if your favorite team is in your town, then when is your team going to come to you? They only travel eight days a year anyways. 
and it just kind of had this disparate kind of once a week compared to the daily grind of the story that develops over time and creating this stat dream of batting races and home run titles and you know you could follow the story for six months every single day and it rewards you for that kind of faithfulness if you did cheer from the beginning of the year to the end um, and it gave newspapers and radio something to talk about every single day where football you talk about it on Monday and then okay we'll see you next Monday um, just getting to be in the consciousness every day is such a big advantage I think there's also I, I want to hear uh, dad what you have to say about baseball as so I've I haven't seen all of Ken Burns PBS 10 hour or more series baseball um, but one of the theses he he puts forth pretty early on in that series is baseball the history of baseball is American history and he kind of just argues that they're inextricably intertwined and I mean would you agree with Ken Burns on that well uh, it is and, and other um, commentators from across the world um, starting with the birth of the nation and and you know leading into its uh, more mature, Days in the you know uh, 1800s and 1900s is uh, every commentator comes from France or Germany or certainly England and even Russia. Uh, uh, you know they always comment upon if you want to understand American politics, you've got to understand baseball. And so it was it was interwoven with 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 the character of the of the nation and the notoriety of it, the the uh, the, the ability for people to quote uh baseball lingo as metaphors for the kind of decision making that takes place in Washington or takes place at the state level. And, uh, you know, they put a squeeze play on, meaning you, you've put, you've put, uh, a politician in a difficult situation. Um, and that's primarily the defense you're putting in a difficult situation because it's the surprise bunt, you know, from the offense that, you know, the team at bat and, uh, all, all these sorts of things that, you know, I always wanted to, I, I won't have time to do it now. And there's, there's, there's too many other things to do, but I, I think you could write a history of America just using the lingo of baseball. And you could, you could tell, tell stories and, and spin the, the, the major events of, uh, of history, American history and the defeat of Britain and, and so forth. We've all, he- we've all heard that pun on Genesis in the big inning. Right. Right. I've tried to forget it, but I, I have heard that. Yeah. <laughs> We've all grown at that. Yes. So national pastime, because it has the, 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 the leverage of uh, every day, uh, you know, through the summer, uh, you know, from, from spring till, till fall. Uh, you know, uh, the World Series didn't always extend into November as it does now and didn't always start in, in March uh, as the season began. But it, it's, it sort of is representative of a, of a kind of cycle of the seasons. And uh, you almost kind of feel sorry for, you know, baseball uh, that it doesn't have the, the cachet it does today because there was a time in which people invented football and basketball to prepare to be in shape for baseball. I mean, that's the only reason those sports existed was to get ready for baseball. <laughs> I think everybody knows that. Um, so with baseball kind of, you know, by the time you're born in, in the 50s, baseball is already this richly historic sport with a, a long past. Um, how is it a, a future-facing sport? Or, you know, is baseball a sport of the future too? Or is it just a nostalgic callback? Well, it's it's nostalgic for people who glory in baseball. So it has a past, but it also does, does have a future because, you know, baseball is played... Um, in Japan, it's played in uh, the, the Netherlands. The land of the future. <laughs> yeah, the land of the future, that's right. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's no sport more international uh, that's that's played at the level baseball is played at and that is, uh, you know, uh, I'll say worshipped or, or adored as a sport. Not even uh, the soccer? Way ba- the way baseball is. I... I is is soccer really a sport? I mean, well, another day, another another uh, time. But it's right. it's. I, I will admit Here comes that the hate that, tweets. That, 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 no, soccer is the beautiful game, and I can concede that. And I can watch 
probably 10 or 15 minutes of it and really enjoy those those 15 minutes and the uh, you know unbelievable one to nothing and and nil 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 I see I can't even the lingo of soccer escapes me in in terms of of telling a story uh but I'm I'm warming up to it uh because the the the, the more uh soccer is played around the world the more chances that they're going to have baseball in sub-Saharan Africa, which which is important. Well, eventually someone will be like, "What if we hit this thing with a stick instead, and then you have baseball?" That that could be it. <laughs> but uh, to, to, you know, I, I don't want to dwell on it. But I mean, the the international uh, market for baseball players, uh, you know, and the ability for you to play in Korea and end up in the major leagues, um, the ability to uh, Merge the the historical eloquence of of uh, baseball writing in different languages. Uh, you know, there just it, it thrills me to think that there is in China right now some of the greatest baseball writers now being prepared for their their moment on the stage of history to write about baseball as played in China and so forth. Uh, but. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it comes back to the the spread and popularity of baseball in its ability to be uh, broadcast literally over the airwaves, and that that uh, embeds baseball in American culture at a, at a crucial time um, between the wars and even during the wars, uh, because it gives gives people a platform. For expressing and understanding uh, the, the kind of gentlemanly sport or game it is, and it uh, gives little boys like me uh, growing up thinking I could be a major league baseball player. Some common complaints about baseball from people who don't get it or you know just aren't into it are that it's slow or nothing happens or you know all these kinds of things. And what would be your your pitch or explanation of what you find exciting or beautiful, um, Justin or Bruce? Well, for, first of all, to me, uh, baseball is a drama, and it's a new drama for every ballpark at game time, for everybody seated there, for everybody listening to the game. To a lesser extent, I would say it's uh, for, for those who are watching on TV, because that's a, a specialized experience, and it's becoming even more specialized with uh, the advent of every game being televised and available on your iPhone, um, uh, either as a, as a broadcast TV uh uh, you know, visually oriented sort of uh, presentation of the game. Yeah, it's. I always, I always have a hard time. I, I watch on TV more than anything, but I still understand it as this is an edited experience with baseball that I enjoy listening on the radio because it's unedited. It's purely here's what is happening, and I get to take over for the story of what it would look like in my eyes. Or if you're at the ballpark, you get to see the the magic live but that yeah, tv just the manipulation of it always has struck me more and more annoying the more annoying they get with their trendy cool things they have to come up with every year well i always wondered like if you know you could pay extra to direct tv or whoever you know straight up to mlb for a second feed that was just an unedited stream with no announcing or like you know list. yeah like, yes. or minimalist <laughs> announcing but like almost nothing. And I get by some people might find that strange, or if you don't know, understand baseball, you kind of want the announcer to explain the rules every single game. But um, I, I would love, in football and other sports too, Like I would love to have a, a straight-up feed with like some tasteful mix, because obviously there's going to be some editorial voice in how it's mixed, but kind of a, a pure, like, just watch. Well, I, I think that could be... Um a kind of diversion on a particular day, uh, just like they do it with pro football. Sometimes they they just uh, have the uh, the crowd noise and then you know uh, focus the camera on the on the quarterback and the and the defensive uh, safeties and so on and so forth. T- to me, baseball uh, is almost uh, too active 
uh, as opposed to it being too slow or or uh, you know dulcetory or something because um, because you got the nine guys in the field and they're they're moving anything could happen a ball could be hit to them you've got the uh, the batting lineup waiting to take their swings and uh, to me this is this is where the narrative or the the drama of baseball I think is best served either as you're saying without any narration or with somebody talented as a baseball broadcaster, like Vin Scully for the Dodgers, and some some very famous, you know Ernie Harwell for the Tigers. Although I didn't like listening to Tigers games, uh, Ernie was pleasant to listen to. Um, but uh, the original broadcasters were almost as important and as popular and as well known as the players themselves, because they became identified with a certain call of a certain player's catch in the outfield or a, or a home run call becomes identified with, with that team or that season. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there are all sorts of reasons to call baseball slow, I suppose, and even the current commissioner is trying to speed things up, which I, I find ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I, I can find dull moments in a baseball game, but it usually isn't because... Uh, the, the baseball's taking uh, the baseball players at bat is is taking too long to get back in the box or or the pitcher is is throwing the first to me that's what makes baseball interesting and intricate and uh you know ever uh changing with the possibilities of a given game given inning and uh you know it, i admit that not everybody shares this view <laughs> but if 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 you do share that I think you do think of the baseball announcer on the radio as coming closer to um, uh, adequately uh, approximating what it's like to be at a game in person as opposed to watching it on television. I just wanted to sound off, too, on the slowness people in that the number one thing, and there's studies and there's, like, every year it's the same articles. It's so dumb and annoying. But um, the slowness of the game... Most of that comes from the forcing us to watch television commercials between innings and on breaks between pitchers. Um, I remember reading an article with, especially while well, it's following the Astros, but Roy Oswalt was notorious for pitching before the commercial break was back, and the networks hated <laughs> him for that. Um, and that's something that pitchers have to learn when they go from minor leagues to major leagues they're forced to take this extra unordinate amount of time between innings and they get out of rhythm and they complain they're like why do i have to stand out here another 70 seconds when i'm ready to go right now um because we need that commercial break and that's where the money comes from etc i get it but if you want to speed up the game cut a commercial 30 seconds every single time you usually have four put three and you'd save so much time <laughs> Which I just I had to look up Roy Oswalt on Wikipedia, and I just this is unrelated to what you're saying, but apparently him and Lance Bergman signed a one day contract with Houston just so they could officially retire as Astros at the end of their careers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, very important. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, they're wise beyond their years. In, uh, in treasuring that, which I, I think is admirable in a you know in a sport that because it's become as profitable as it has, uh, that uh, th- there's not much loyalty to a, a place or a, you know, a, a manager or a, a set of players. And you know maybe if it's a difference between five million versus ten million, I would probably make that choice too. But uh, there, there's a certain resonance about it, a, a player who plays his whole career with one team, as Craig Biggio did with the Astros. To me, there's something noble about that. And, and uh, You forgot Hall of Famer Craig Biggio. You have to say that now. <laughs> I should say that, yeah. It's, it's like yeah, when you should. get Oscar nominated. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar nominee, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I admired... Uh, that they did that, and you know, I, I think uh, Jim Tomey may have done that with the Indians too, but uh, because he he probably does have a chance of being voted in the Hall of Fame um, <laughs> with uh, over 500 home runs. Um, I, I want to mention that the, the the first you know broadcast is uh, KDKA in Pittsburgh, and and it's a it's it's a, not a particularly noteworthy game except that it was the first, and it was not 
planned to be a series of broadcasts. They were going to try this, and the and the uh, the pirates organization actually weren't really excited about it because they thought it would um, detract from or or divert from the game itself, and uh, in in might cause a lack of attendance, <laughs> and and instead of thinking positively that it might increase the the market for pirates baseball, and even increase the intensity for wanting to get seats to to get tickets, and uh, you know I I think that was obviously short sighted on their part, and they were surprised that uh, that it actually did generate a lot more interest in pirates. It, it was like having your own uh, medium for uh, trumpeting the existence of baseball in your town, uh, and you may have to pay for it, uh, and uh, and and. You know, I, I found that amusing when I, when I when I found that out that that there might be somebody on a team who didn't want their scores broadcast, didn't want their batters identified, um, and uh, didn't want the the popcorn and hot dogs that would be available to them if they showed up at the game today. Uh, you know, not not making that uh, uh, notable, and uh, it just. Sort of gives you a picture of some of the naivete of the early teams uh, and their ability to, uh, uh, to to market it, and you know they were willing to say, "Hey, we've got this stadium and we got this ball team and the, we've got these good hitters. Come if you can. It starts at one o'clock." <laughs> and it, it seemed to be the, the the way the marketing was done at the time. Well, and I feel like we've seen the same skepticism play out with every technological revolution. I mean, when the 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 baseball at bat app comes out, it's you know MLB is kind of you know a little nervous about like, do we just let people watch games no matter where they are? No, let's black them out. And I know some of that had to do with weird contracts with local networks and TV stations, but there's this weird like, no, don't let more people watch baseball. <laughs> well, that's why I had to move to Alaska. I am never blacked out on, <laughs> on, on the at-bat app Even the Mariners games? <laughs> uh, well, that's, that blackout occurs on, on TV, but it doesn't occur on my phone or my, my iPad. So you just have to contend with your, your data caps. With your internet. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I thought of another angle where baseball was kind of early, and that would be video games. And I don't know if it's just because uh, the, the history of video games is distinctly American and Japanese most strongly. It's it's those two era uh, sections of our world that are making video games early. And uh, th- I think that led to baseball being an early simulation that people wanted to create on computers. And I think another thing that contributed to that was it was a little harder to do football in a video game because before the computers were strong enough, you know, you'd have to animate like 20 plus characters in a football game. And you, you notice a little bit if there's no one on the sideline or the crowd doesn't exist. And in baseball, you kind of forgive the like pixel dot crowd. And, uh, you know, since, you know, baseball does have a zoomed out view when there's like a play going on, but most of it happens between the pitcher and the batter. And so it just seemed like another like happy accident that it was a good candidate for early computing games. And, but I also want to hear about uh, your experience with like Stratomatic baseball and some early board games and all these things. Yeah, the, the gamified version for the home. Like, what did you see? And how did that work? Because obviously, it had to change, or like, what role would you play as if you played in one of these board games? Well, uh, you know, Stratomatic would have been my game of choice, although there were other competitors. Um, and I think these appear started appearing about the end of the 50s and uh, beginning of the 60s. And, and I know I got my first uh, Stratomatic game, and uh, you had to order it from this exotic address called Glen's Head, New York. It would come in this this special box, and uh, you just you, you came home from school every day, and you'd ask your mom or dad, "Did it come today?" Because that would be uh, uh, you know a special event. Uh, you know the way you might you know wait for a new release of a movie you want to see or whatever. And uh, you know these these were statistically uh, sophisticated recreations of last year's uh, teams and players. And, uh, you know, a dice-based game, and you were the manager of both teams, 
you were the you were the commissioner of the league. Um, you could, as I did sometimes, trade the very best player. Like I traded Frank Robinson to the Indians so I could play. He could play on my team. And, uh, you know, of course, he played for Baltimore and Cincinnati. And I, 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 uh, I didn't have the, uh, the, the wherewithal to, to actually do that in real life. So why not do it on my little board game in my, uh, in my room? And, uh, you know, the, the, the excitement of it was, Baseball players in your living room, you know, being able to hit home runs for you, you being able to strategize a a, uh, a double play combination, you know, uh, infield in, infield out, uh, your speediest runner sent in as a as a pinch runner, and, and you could do all the things a major league baseball manager uh, could do. Uh, and uh, best of all, I could I could create my own box scores. And I could, uh, you know, write my own, uh, uh, story, uh, capsules. And, uh, and if I wanted to, I never quite made it to 162 games. I could have played the entire schedule for every, every team, or at least the schedule for the team I followed at the time, Cleveland Indians, and later the Houston. Uh, Colt 45s, as they were known when they came into the league. I thought that was great. I had uh, replica uniforms of both of those teams. I had the Colts uniform with the big 45. Uh, guns. <laughs> guns, yeah. And then, you know, they became the Astros, uh, which was probably a happy accident that they wanted to feature the, the Houston uh, uh, industry of NASA and, and space travel and so forth. But uh, Yeah, how soon I, after the moon missions are during the moon hysteria did that switch happen what happened in, i believe in 65 was the first year with the astros logo uh, and uh you know that, that meant they were only the colts for two and a half years yeah uh, 62 to 64 so as you were describing the way you'd play with this board game it just kind of struck me that baseball has so many different levels that might be fun or satisfying to play in, whether it's these super zoomed out, like manager, um, all the different strategy, you know, do you pull that pitcher out? Do you try to run? Um, do you try to steal second? Do you bring, you know, all the, the defensive switches you could make, the batting order switches? And uh, I don't feel like, I mean, there's a little bit of that in other sports, um, but I don't feel like it's as common or present in every single game the way it is in baseball like at any moment the manager is a very active role whereas I feel like it's a little less in, in some other sports and I think there's some something I would love to see better represented in video games is scratching that itch of I don't just want to be you know the slugger hitting home runs like sometimes that's fun you know I just want a home run derby game and I just want to kind of be a power hitter but Sometimes it's fun. And I know the NFL played with this. They made a game called NFL Coach and they only made it once and apparently it failed. But like, <laughs> I, I want that itch to be scratched in, in some of these ways to vicariously enjoy the game. And, uh, you know, me, one of me and Justin's most favorite baseball games of all time would be baseball stars. And, uh, one of the big reasons is because you actually develop your players. So as you win, you, you earn money, which lets you directly train your players with different attributes. And it's like, oh, he's going to run faster now. Oh, he's going to pitch a faster fastball. And it was just really satisfying to go through a season and watch your team grow. And it wasn't just about being in the batter's box. It was about the meta around it. Yeah. Well, to me, I was completely, uh, enamored of, uh, of creating the lineups, keeping the stats, uh, you know, having my own all-star game. I mean, to me, that was part of the joy of baseball to me. Uh, and it didn't diminish my own playing. I, I still like playing baseball. And, uh, you know, everybody has been in their own backyard or or uh, up against a, a garage and you're pretending you're, you're leaping up to, to stop the home run or uh, you're, uh, and this is, I think, what radio provides is, you know, when I imagine myself being a baseball player in the, uh, uh, in the 50s and 60s, I imagine my play by play occurring either in my own head or I actually provided it out loud, you know, and here comes Bruce Edwards up to bat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's had a rough uh, days. He's taken the collar, but, he can win the game with a, a sacrifice fly. And I literally, you know, and again, I, I'm sure that there are 
dozens and dozens, if not millions, of of, uh, of people who did the same thing. Uh, not something I did with basketball, not something I ever would have pretended in, in football, but because baseball was such a verbal, discourse-laden sport, uh, you know, it, it, there's a narrative with every pitch, every batter, and that I never got tired of that. And uh, so, it, it, to me, it was just a uh, a correlation of the statistical board game I played uh, in the afternoons, and then the game I was going to play in that night in in the little league context. Um, I don't think I ever went so far as to do my own play-by-play while I was actually playing in a Little League game. I think that would have been uh, a little uh, pretentious. But uh, uh, in, in, in my, in my, to, to me, baseball is a perfect sport that bridges simulation, uh, statistical analysis, uh, you know, actual playing, and, and it gives you a, a, a way to participate in baseball that if I was too little, like if I was five years old, I'm not going to hit home runs in a little league game. I'm too young for it, but I'm still participating. And, and I'm 62 now, and I'm probably, I don't have a lot of swings left, although I like to go to a batting cage whenever I'm you know visiting my, my children, just to see that I could actually still hit the ball, uh, even if it's you know going at 60 miles an hour and not 90. Um uh, you know, it, it gives me a lifetime of of uh, enjoyment and participation. You know, I can't imagine, and, and, and it's even kind of sorrowful to see how beat up football players are after a, a career. It may, maybe the career was eight years or less, and and basketball players who go down with with an ACL, you know, and and you know prematurely their careers end and that sort of thing. But you know, baseball seems to have a lifetime. Uh, ticket, and uh, and I and I liked that about it, and uh, you know I, I I think I even sensed even when I was you know twelve or fifteen that baseball had this lifelong uh, attention that it was was worthy of my attention because it uh, it didn't really matter uh, if uh, I got too slow or I got too old I could still enjoy baseball and I could still identify with the players that I I loved. I'd also point out that uh, ticket prices relatively remain more affordable for baseball than most other sports. Absolutely, yeah. I can still, I can still, on the day of a game, find a ticket for like seven dollars. Somebody selling on StubHub or something. Like, yeah, you're gonna sit way up there, but I could go to a game for seven dollars. Okay. Yeah, to to get to a Broncos game takes like months of planning and like you got to save <laughs> up and then you're still going to get that same upper deck seat that you got for $7 the day of for baseball. And again, I, I always think you have eight chances, otherwise you <laughs> missed them that year. Where baseball, you have 80 chances, which is decent and you know, maybe that gives you excuses like, well, we'll get around to it, but you do get around to it and... I don't know, something, uh, just want to go back to what Dad's saying about that lifelong, you know, I see it almost like a membership type of experience with it. You can't forget it or get over baseball. Um, as much as I enjoy football and basketball, otherwise I've, I've never felt a lifelong commitment to them. I enjoy them, I'm a fan of them, but um, I'm never quite wrapped up in a story until... Oh, things are super exciting. I guess it's the playoffs. I can pay attention now, um, unless it's LeBron James or something. But the ability of the the radio broadcaster, even in uh, an age in which I could I could watch this just about every conceivable medium, uh, you know, phone, tablet, <clears throat> TV. Um, uh, I, I still prefer the way the baseball broadcaster can shape the game. And it, it's a comforting voice. It's it's a voice I'm familiar to because I'm going to listen to it night after night. And uh, he, he and, and, you know, the, the Yankees have some female broadcasters and, and there may be some uh, other teams that are, are starting to add female voices. But, you know, it, it's usually been a he. And to me... I can tell from the tone of his voice, like Tom Hamilton for the Indians, uh, Milo Hamilton for, uh, for the Astros when he was broadcasting. Uh, you know, from the tone of his voice, I can tell whether 
the Indians or the Astros are in jeopardy. You know, how desperate is the situation? What inning is it in? You know, I can, I could, I could usually tell that by just looking at a clock, but now I'm in a time zone where this could be going on anytime. And I could be listening early, I could be listening late. And, and one of the joys of my childhood was listening late into the night, out of town broadcasts, long after the Indians were, were, were over. Uh, you have the, the transistor radio who is able on certain nights to pick up a clear signal from as far away as Philadelphia, as far away as Boston, as far away as St. Louis. And I didn't really care about those teams. Uh, but the, getting, a, getting the voice associated with the city, I could identify with those baseball fans and lovers in that town. They love this sport. They love their team like I love my team. And so listening to that broadcast just gave me this sense of you know, false but but real to me solidarity that you know uh, St. Louis may not be a town I want to live in but I bet if there's a one baseball lover then it's a town worth visiting and seeing their team play <laughs> Uh, and you know, I used to have this this uh, phrase on my uh, Facebook account. Maybe I still do, where uh, uh, where, I, where I basically said, if you want world peace, then place a baseball franchise in that society, and in time, <laughs> peace will come. Um, obviously, tongue in cheek, but I I, I kind of was finding that uh, historically we became friends with civilizations like Japan that we would normally want to kill, and they'd want to kill us. But we had baseball in common, and now we even swap players from our rosters, and we watch uh, all-star teams visit and so on and so forth. And so I have hope for China, and I have hope uh, even for a latter-day Russian squad uh, and, you know, who knows? The peace can come in the Middle East and everywhere else if we can only all play baseball. Um, I see in the notes here also that uh, you, you reference some famous comedy routines of baseball, just kind of speaking to its universality in, in other medium. But I think one of my favorites is that you mentioned George Carlin's, which, I mean, whatever you think about his other material, the his, his thing about baseball and football is kind of just amazing and legendary. And, you know, he just makes all these amazing observations like, you know, in football, basketball, soccer, volleyball, and all their sports with the ball, you score with the ball. In baseball, the ball prevents you from scoring. <laughs> and just, you know, like baseball's played on a diamond or in a park. Football's played in a gridiron, in a stadium. Sometimes it's called Soldier Field or War <laughs> Memorial. And, you know, baseball starts in the spring when everything comes alive and football is in the fall when everything dies. And just, <laughs> he keeps making all these. Um, football is concerned with downs. What down is it? Baseball is concerned with ups. Who's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a great, uh, great routine. And, um, uh, we, I think we'll have a link in the show notes where we're not violating anybody's uh, copyrights, but right. you can find this on a, a baseball site. And uh, yeah, that, that's one of the greatest side by side analogies with, with other sports uh, and using the, the actual language of baseball like uh, sacrifice and, uh, you know, the, uh, the attitude of, of wanting to go home. Because that's where you're going to score. That's where you're going to win the game. And and uh, uh, it, it, it it was uh, characteristic of of how urbane and witty uh, George Carlin was about most things. If we were uh, going back to the talk show theme of last week, uh, I would have uh, spent some time mentioning George Carlin as a as a, a, a premium guest to have on your talk show because he could talk about anything. I, I find that. Though, though I, I obviously follow baseball, contemporary baseball, avidly, that you know when I think of my childhood and the pre kind of digital age, you know I think of how simple baseball seemed to be. There were just two leagues and uh, eight teams in each league, and no teams west of St. Louis. So literally, you could drive to a stadium in one day. And uh, and see you know spread out over a month you could see every major league team that there was 
in, in that shorter period of time. Or you could get a, a, a train ticket. I mean, you, you always see these old, old baseball movies, uh, and they're traveling by train. And I think what a wonderful, I mean, nostalgic, true, but, but romantic it is. Uh, a gesture to to be getting on a train to go to a baseball game, either as a player or a fan. I mean, what could be better than that? Uh, you know, it's just it's it's uh, amazing to me that there was such a time, mid century, mid twentieth century, where you could get to every baseball team there was in one day or day and a half at the at the most, <laughs> or day and a half. And now we only have Harry Potter who gets on trains. <laughs> now, on the other hand, I think it's amazing to think about the fact that one year there was not a team in Los Angeles and San Francisco, and the next year there were those two teams. And and think of how how much space you had to to traverse to get all the way to play a series with the Dodgers. You know, you're used to being able to get on a train or on a bus, maybe a plane, but usually a bus or, or a train to get to that Dodgers series. Now you're going to have to travel all the way across the country with nothing in between. There's not like a, 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 a game that's going to be played in Arizona. Yeah. What was the nearest team to them when, when they started? It would have been St. Louis. St. Louis. Yeah. Okay. Pulling up a map right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no Texas, no. Colorado, obviously, like, and then up north was Minnesota, still not west enough. Yeah, but Min- they had, Minnesota they had didn't to create come into Seattle. Play till, yeah, Seattle. Create Seattle uh, and Oakland for them to <laughs> have some yeah. rest from traveling. Yeah. That's Even a good uh, 1,800 miles from St. Yeah. Louis to Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure the traveling secretaries for each of those teams, uh, Delighted that all these Eastern teams had to go to Los Angeles <laughs> to play a game. I mean, they didn't take three days to get there. They had to play within at least a day, two days. And that's uh, probably when teams started chartering airlines <laughs> to get out there. But uh, that's the, uh, the, the romance of, uh, of, of baseball becomes a transcontinental uh, event and uh, you know the other thing about the that that first uh, team that played in Los Angeles they they played for several years before Dodger Stadium was built in the Los Angeles Coliseum which is a terrible place to play anything but football and even football doesn't really play very well there and there used to be a, a, an outfielder for the the Dodgers by the name of Wally Moon and they used to call home runs that he hit in the Coliseum, moonshots, because the left field bleachers, I think, were something like within 250 yards of home plate. And so you could very easily hit a home run if you're a right-handed hitter, especially advantaged. And, uh, you know, New York had its own weird dimensions, and you could hit a home run in, in Yankee Stadium. I think the, the, the right field line for a left-handed hitter was like 279 yards. And so for three years, uh, you, uh, you played in a stadium that was really like, like having, uh, you know, playing on a 70 yard football field for football. I mean, just. I really like that about baseball that, like, you know, and in most other sports, it's really rigid, exact distances, exact heights. And baseball is kind of like, yeah, maybe the bases have to be an exact distance, but, you know, Boston can be like, ah, we're just going to build a giant wall over here, so too bad <laughs> right-handers trying yeah, to hit Yeah, because home runs. <laughs> we have a lot of left-handed batters that year. <laughs> and, you know, some, you know, in Colorado, we get to be like, well, the air's thinner, sorry. I mean... Definite, yeah, definite. Aside from fans, it's a real home field advantage, literally, in that <laughs> you gear your team towards your stadium is... This is a pitcher's park. We're going to attract the best pitchers naturally and then in our development as well. Um, and that's that particular, it's so important to get home field advantage, um, which doesn't, you know, it, it happens in football and the fans are the main part of it. But yeah, the field's the same. Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen in person a game played at the, the Coliseum. Uh, but, uh, in our show notes, you, you, there are some baseball broadcasts from the uh, 59 World Series, which was the White Sox versus the Dodgers. 
And, uh, you know, like the World Series is, is still played today, they played the first two games in Chicago, the next three games in, uh, in Los Angeles. And the Dodgers lost the first game in Chicago 11 to nothing. I, I just, that was a spoiler because you could listen to that game. But, uh, uh, but the Dodgers swept the next four games. You know, uh, uh, you know, they won their three at home and then they, they finished off the, uh, uh, well, yeah, they won their three at home. That was the fourth game because they played one more in Chicago and, and they won that one there. Uh, I, I note that the broadcast that, that you'll have in the show notes is uh, Mel Allen doing the national broadcast. And so it, it it's unfortunate. It deprives you of having heard Vin uh, Scully's call of that series because Sandy Koufax, you know, brilliant you know, famous Dodger pitcher was considered a wild pitcher. This is his first real full season, and he pitches the final game in this this uh, series, and uh, you, know, you know, obviously wins it for the Dodgers. And uh, just hearing uh, the broadcaster, in this case, it's Mel Allen. He's a, he's a Yankees announcer uh, by trade at the time, and and you know, he, he happens to be hired by an NBC to do the broadcast. But when you hear some foreign broadcasters, I'm sure it would have been the case with the Dodger fans, Mel Allen, the rival of the Dodgers for most of the time that the, there have been Dodgers, now on, in Los Angeles and hearing this enemy call your game for you, that must have been <laughs> you know, an interesting experience for, for the Dodgers fans. But of course, the Los Angeles populace at the time, they'd only had the Dodgers for a year. And, you know, within one year, they've got a World Series champion. You know, how fair is that? <laughs> They're uh, still the best team in baseball. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. 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 So speaking of that, um, I just want to, this is a nice segue in that they had to wait a year. Um, you and I share this, and and I suppose Michael, just vicariously, and with that of whatever your best favorite teams were growing up, um, we've both spent our lifetimes without our team winning the championship. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and it's it's tough. I've I've had my favorite teams in other sports win championships, so I know the feeling. But nothing would compare if my team in baseball actually won. I can't even imagine what these towns must feel when they finally break their own curses. Um, but yeah, your nineteen forty eight was the last Indians was before you, and the Astros have only been to the World Series once and got swept. So I'm just miserable. <laughs> and and done in by a former Astros player. <laughs> what, Brad Lidge when he gave up all those grand slams? No, <laughs> no well, the uh, well, and yeah. then he won the World Series for the Phillies. So well, thanks. Yeah. Well, you've got yeah. continuing purpose in your life because once they win, you'll just be like, "What now?" <laughs> That's what I'm curious to find how much I follow. I mean, I would, I imagine, but I will ease the the gas pedal in my uh, fandom and I guess fanaticism. Yeah. So, Dad, to tie a bow on this, I, I wondered if we could speak a little bit on baseball's future. And um, one little anecdote I'd, I'd toss out is I've, there has not been a single baseball game on Xbox One. It's only been Sony who's been keeping it alive on the PS4 with their uh, MLB. I can't even remember what the game's called right now. But The show? Uh, yeah, the show. <laughs> um which, I mean, I don't think it speaks too much other than that the Xbox is the worst platform to be on. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've seen their fans like complain online on Reddit and other forums like, why don't we have a baseball game? <laughs> it is bizarre, yeah. Um, but, you know, that aside, not that that's indicative of anything necessarily. Um, what is baseball's future? Is it going to continue to be culturally influential or, or you know, very much a, a reflection of our nation at large and, and the world? Well, yes. <laughs> okay, we're good. <laughs> All right. Two things. One is uh, you know, baseball is is still in its infancy in in many other uh, uh, continents. And I would you know mention again China. Uh, and it's already wildly popular in Korea and Japan. Uh, you know, it's... it's uh, you know, again, it's a sport that appeals to uh, a great diversity 
of shapes and sizes and athletic abilities, both as a participant, as a professional, but also just as somebody who wants to see baseball. And, uh, you know, it's, it's growing in popularity in Europe, but Europe is the old world. Uh, so I don't, I don't it's know still how too much good for anything uh, the colony well, made. I don't, I don't know, but you know, um, a sport like baseball, I think is, is, destined for for stardom in India. You know, India has the the a world-class cricket team and they're playing right now in Australia. Australia is another place where baseball is growing in stature and love and you know, uh you know, one of the first tours uh to the uh you know, the 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 other side of the of the of the globe to Australia occurred at the turn of the century, at the turn of the twentieth century. So there, there have been seeds planted lots of places. So uh, I'm not worried about baseball having any uh, uh, any kind of poison pill in, in it somewhere. <laughs> you know wh- whether it continues to be as popular as it should be and could be in in North America. Um, I think uh, you know South America will continue to make us jealous of the kinds of players and uh, and enthusiasms they send to the major leagues here. Uh, you know, two of the the uh, the uh, supremely talented first time Brazilian players play now for the Indians. Jan Gomes and his brother was signed by the Indians. He's going to play Double A, <laughs> maybe Triple A this year. And you know, uh, you know, Brazil is a is a large country. You know, soccer crazy. I get that. I'm in. You know, they're good basketball players. They send their be- best basketball players to the Cavaliers, <laughs> and uh, if they can stay healthy, they they end up contributing. So, so I think there's a there's a large future in the and sport. We just of baseball. opened up Cuba, and Cuba will oh. be now uh, a real port of call for. Players for uh, you know North Americans to, to 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 train and play and and may even be a, a franchise there. Who knows? Um, just real quick, the I live in Boston right now. The Red Sox just paid thirty million dollars for a Cuban. Now that they're able to start pulling in the stars, he's kids nineteen years old. They gave him thirty million dollars. <laughs> um, I guess things are looking up for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so another way to put this question is. Do you think our nation will go post football sooner than it goes post baseball? Well, <laughs> I, I certainly, if if enough uh, San Francisco 49ers retire at the age of twenty four uh, for fear of concussions, I think. Uh, yeah, I, although I think that may be a, a red herring at this this point. I I think. Uh, you know, the, the, but this the, past year of football was like shooting brutal. themselves in the foot repeatedly. Yeah. Um, but then also, it's football and nobody actually cares. But um, <laughs> but it it has a certain stain to it. We're just like, all right, now you got to recover from. Oh, I feel guilty for how much I enjoy watching football games, and I don't <laughs> I, feel guilty. That's it. I shouldn't feel guilty. And <laughs> like, but yeah, I I, I want to add this to uh, as you as you're yeah. getting ready to close the broadcast. <laughs> I just can't wait to end this. One of my vivid. <laughs> Daydreams, and I can I can think about it uh, almost on the very day when I first thought of this. Uh, say sixty two, sixty three, you know, right after Roger Maris had just uh, broken uh, Babe Ruth's uh, single season record. Um, what if we had robot teams, and you know, you could become a manager of a robot team? And I remember thinking about that. And then, like, the next day, I got uh, an issue of Strange Sports Stories, a DC comic book. And there it was, uh, a robot baseball team representing uh, America in the sort of global series, galactic series. And if we didn't win, they were going to destroy our planet. Of course. And and to me, that that is what the stakes are. In every baseball game. <laughs> well, and I'd also point you to a, a 1980s Japanese video game called Base Wars for the NES. Um, maybe we could play it next time we're together. Um, t- robot teams, robot pitchers, and they're like different kinds of robots. And of course, you know, if you were getting tagged out at second, it would become like a fight and like the, the robot with a cannon would shoot at the one that had to punch and 
you can see who won for what happens. Yeah. So this is a good uh, uh, premonition of a future uh, broadcast where we're going to talk about robots in 50s and 60s culture. Um, and, um, you know, one of the, the very best Twilight Zone episodes we didn't talk about back on the first episode uh, is about a baseball player who is a robot, a mechanical man, not an android, but a mechanical man um, who's given a heart and suddenly he doesn't want to strike out a batter anymore and it gives them all <laughs> uh, straight fastballs down the middle so they can hit home runs. That's Rod Serling's uh, sense of humor. Well, with that, we've had our baseball episode of Some Pulp. We want to thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find show notes and links to various things we talked about, some videos, some articles, at sunriserobot.net slash sumpulp slash five to get to this episode. Um, I believe this is episode six. Oh, you're right. It's just marked as five in my notes here. So... Yeah, add a slash six to that. Um, as always, if you're listening on the web, the best way to stay up to date with some pulp is to subscribe. So if you're on an iPhone or Android, um, there's an RSS or iTunes button on our website, and that'll take you to how you can subscribe. Or uh, if you're on computer, you can fire up iTunes and find us in the iTunes store by searching for some pulp. And that way, your machine will automatically download a new episode the second it's released. It'll be ready to go for your morning commute or whatever you're up to. Um, if you have uh, comments or questions, send those to at BruceBGSU um, on Twitter. And uh, one other thing you can do is rate and review us in iTunes. It's a big help. Uh, the more ratings, the more chance we get put in front of other listeners looking for great podcasts like some pulp. And if you want to support us directly, you can head to sunriserobot.net slash support. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. And I don't